Welcome to Podcast Leadership Forum, a conversation with leaders who serve the public good. My name is Trevor Brown, and I'm privileged to serve as Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University, where we aspire to fulfill a simple phrase that Senator John Glenn used to describe what we do, inspire citizenship and develop leadership. I also have the honor of serving as the host of this conversation series. So welcome to a thoughtful and reflective conversation about leadership and public service. I'm joined today by Aftab Purval, mayor of Cincinnati, a graduate of The Ohio State University and the University of Cincinnati College of Law. The mayor started his career in private legal practice in Washington, D.C. before returning to Ohio to work as a U.S. attorney and then joined Cincinnati's Procter & Gamble as inside legal counsel. In 2015-2016, he successfully ran for his second elected as office, his first was as undergraduate student president at Ohio State, um, and he became the elected clerk of courts for Hamilton County. After a run for a congressional seat in 2018, in 2021, he successfully ran to serve as the 70th mayor of Cincinnati. Mayor, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining me for a conversation about leadership in the public sector. Dean, I'm, I'm so, so honored to be here. It's always a pleasure to be virtually, at least, back on campus. Um, I uh, really had a, a wonderful four years at Ohio State and so glad to be uh, still connected to the university. So thanks for having me on. Well, go Bucks. Um, That's right. So tell us, uh, tell us just start by talking about your, your pathway to elected leadership. Um, you know, you, your first run, at least as far as I know, was your, your run here at the university for undergraduate student government. Um, but fundamentally, your, your big office, your first one was the Hamilton County Clerk of Co Courts. Why this office? Why'd you run? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, my my story, not to take you too far back, but but I'll be brief. My, my story really starts with my parents. Um, I'm, I'm the son of a refugee. My, my mom was born in Tibet and forced to flee. Uh, she made her way to, to uh, India, where she grew up as a refugee and met my father, who's from Punjab, India. And they got married and they decided to come to the United States. So, Dean, from, from sea to shining sea, New York to California, they could have gone anywhere. And they chose Beaver Creek, Ohio in 1980. So they, they came here. I was born a couple of years later, you know, went to, went, went to public school, Ohio State, UC. Um, and, 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 you know, I have always been passionate about public service, always been interested in, in, in politics. Um, I was a political science major, which, which might as well be pre-unemployed, but you know, that, those are the classes that I would get up <laughs> for in the morning. Um, so as a political science major, as you mentioned, I was student body president at Ohio State, but I, but I always viewed it as a hobby, like an interest that I was both intellectually and, and emotionally passionate about. But I always knew that I was going to go to law school and have a career as a lawyer. I never imagined that I, particularly with my background and my name, could find an electorate to elect me and, and have a career in public service. Um, and it was really President Obama who put me on this path. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was kind of swept up in uh, what he embodied, the inspiration of his message and how he really tried to empower people to believe in not just the country's uh, potential, but in their own individual potential. You know, he's deaf, he's without question our first black president, but I really view him as our first president with an ethnic name. Yeah. And so he, he really convinced me that if I worked hard enough and was committed to it, I could have a career in public service. So, so in 2015, I, I would tell people 
I want to run for the Hamilton County Clerk of Courts. And Dean, Democrats would tell me, are you crazy? What is wrong with you? <laughs> You're going to run for an office no one has ever heard of in conservative Hamilton County against a two-term Republican who can't be beaten. By the way, you're a brown dude named Aftab. That is not a strong ballot name in Southwest Ohio. And to do all that, you have to leave your job at PNG. What is wrong with you? And that was just my mom. So she had some serious concerns. She's still hoping I make it to med school. Um, but, but, but I ran anyway. And I chose that office specifically because as a former federal prosecutor, as a litigator, pretty much my entire life, the courts are special to me. And they're designed to be a place where it doesn't matter what you look like, where you're from, or how much money you have. It's designed to be a place where the playing field is equal. Mm -hmm. But we all know that that's crap. In our, our current system, it matters a great deal what you look like and how much money you have. Oftentimes, in some instances, it dictates the kind of justice that you get. And look, I, I know when we, when we think about reforming our justice system, we really focus on the criminal side. And for good reason, we focus on prosecutors and the police, um, but we don't focus enough on the civil side, on just access to justice. If you get a, if, if, if you get a scary legal document in the mail uh, saying that you're being sued or being cited, oftentimes for a vast majority of people, they, they are not legally sophisticated. They, don't, they can't afford an attorney. They don't know of an attorney who can help them. And so they're really kind of on their own. And so I, I chose the clerk of court's office because the clerk's office is the main interface between the community and the court system. And when that main interface is antiquated, inefficient, um, it undermines the kind of justice that you can get uh, for the rest of your case. So, and so, so I put a, put a lot of thought into how can I marry my interests for law and politics into an office and, and that's how I landed on on that. Tell, tell us, you said it's the main interface between, you know, the citizenry and the, the, the court system. But what, what, is the, what is the clerk of courts and what does the office do? Well, if you're listening, get buckled in. Hopefully you're, you're nodding off to sleep because this will put you entirely asleep. But uh, the, the I'm main jacked job, up. I'm excited. <laughs> the main job of the clerk is really the record keeper uh, for the county. You know, back in the day, um, a lot of folks were illiterate and the clerk was one of the the reason why it's an elected position, frankly, is because it was a really powerful position. It was the one person in charge of all the records in the county, yep. including the including the courts. And so maintaining those records, um, making sure that they're accessible and that they're true and consistent and protected is the main is the main job of the clerk. And, and for your listeners, if you're thinking you know, who cares about the clerk? This is a meaningless office. Just know this. Before William Henry Harrison could be uh, sworn in to, as our president, could take the oath of office as the president, Dean, I swear to God, he had to step down as the Hamilton County Clerk of Court. So this is really, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start a lot of rumors there, but this is really a launching pad to the Oval Office. This is, well, the, this is the job in town. Well, well let's, let's talk about that. Um, it, it is a starting point in some sense for one on a political career. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Um, you, you chose to go to an office, as you've just rightly said, that people know very little about. Um, so I imagine that created a space for you uh, to develop some some skills, some some practice, what it means to be an elected official, um, and and maybe one day 
uh, move on to something bigger, which has already happened. You, you've moved on to the role of mayor. So, so just talk a little bit about that progression in your mind, at least what you were thinking about in running for this particular office. Yeah, I'm, I'm self-deprecating about it, but you're really proud of my time there and learned and learned a lot. I mean, it's a it's a massive operation. It's 200 employees with offices all around the county, and it has to work. If it does not work, worst case scenario, someone doesn't have access to 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 issue bond or bail, they sit in jail yeah. unjustly because of a human error on our part. So it has to work, and it has to work every single time. And when the pandemic hit. You know, there, there's nothing more essential than our courts. And so my, my employees didn't take any time off. It's not possible to work from home. They reported to work every single day. And so it is a it is a big management yep. uh, challenge. It's also a, j- just a big leadership challenge because oftentimes we're talking about folks who are underpaid and overworked and keeping them engaged and inspired, valuing their work, making them feel valued was really difficult. The other aspect of my job is clerk of courts is definitely independently elected, but in many ways I work for the judges. Mm-hmm. And when I got elected, it was a massive upset. I mean, I was, I'm the first Democrat in a hundred years to be elected to the clerk of courts, which is a, a nice applause line in front of a, a democratic club. But in reality, what that means is nobody wanted to work with me when I walked into that building because yeah. it, was, it was a building full of Republican judges. Yeah. So I really had to learn how to work um, my, my, my skills of persuasion, of bridge building, of collaboration, because unless I made relationships with Republican judges, I wouldn't have gotten anything done because so much of the work of the clerk of courts is, is reliant on that. So, but I'm really glad I, I started there because it gave me an opportunity to innovate and fail, right? Mm-hmm. There's, so, there's, there's such a disincentive because of the scrutiny on government officials to try something new, to be risk tolerant, um, to innovate. And part of innovation is failure. You have to fail in order to understand how to improve it. And so because I didn't start by running for Congress or running for, you know, uh, mayor, but I started in a smaller, less scrutinized office, I was able to hone those skills, which really prepared me for a much bigger office and much more responsibility as, as mayor. I want to I come back to the skills that you learned and how you're applying them as mayor, but I, I want to actually go back to what you said about it, you know, bridge building and, learn, and, and building your, your collaboration with, with some folks who were perhaps a little skeptical of you in this role. How, how'd you do that? What, what you, you said you had to use your skills. Well, what were they and, and what was your approach and what, less, <laughs> what lessons can we all learn from, from how you did that successfully? Well, look, it's, it's fascinating. I, I rely a lot on the skills that I developed when, when at uh, Ohio State as, as student body president at USG. I mean, you know, people aren't necessarily that complicated. We all have things that inspire us, that motivate us. We all have our goals. And my approach as, as clerk was, was, to really, was, was to really say this, look, look, judges, I can't do anything without partnership with you. We all know we've got to modernize this building. We all know that we've got to um, that we've got to make sure that the playing field is equal. Those are those are shared values that we have. Let's let's put all the rest of it aside, including credit, including ego. Let's just work on this. And I'm I'm going to have your back during this process. I'm going to be a a, a genuine uh, partner. And when we succeed, I'm going to put you right up up front. 
But the perfect example of this is the help center. So the clerk's office was able to launch through buy-in from the municipal court, a physical office where anyone can come in and get free legal help immediately. This, this didn't exist anywhere in the country, but we started it in, in the clerk of court's office. Our, our help center isn't called the Hamilton County Clerk of Courts Help Center. It's not called the AFTAB Pureball Help Center. It's called the Municipal Court Help Center. So we didn't even put our name on it. And that was intentional because it, 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 it's not the Clerk of Courts Help Center. It really is the courthouse's help center. Yeah. So small things like that, um, you, can, you can talk about bridge building and collaboration, but those kinds of intentional actions to share credit or to lift other people up in the process I found is really, really important. And, and those are the skills that I learned, frankly, in student government uh, that I, I still deploy today. So now fast forward um, to now, your mayor, what, what are some of those skills that you, you practiced, maybe failed at um, as clerk of courts that, that are now proving to be really, really useful to you in another elected managerial role? Well, I mean, look, I, I think when you're clerk of courts, there's not as many people coming to you asking for things. <laughs> but when you're mayor, that changes overnight. Um, and, um, and I learned a little bit about this in student government. By the way, you know, I ran for student body president of Ohio State, so I've been a nerd for a very long time. Let me just put that <laughs> out there. But, but what, what I've really honed since being mayor and leveraging the experiences I've had in the past is the ability to, 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 stay, to say no yeah. and to take really hard positions on really, in some instances, unpopular issues. Um, it's, it's the mayor's job to, it's, it's really the true essence of leadership. I'm the one person in our government, our local government, who's not worried about reelection in the next two or four years. I'm worried about where's the city gonna be over the next hundred years? And what are the decisions that I'm making right now that are, um, that are gonna put us you know, put us on a path to be successful in that time. And, and disappointing people is really just part of the job. But learning how to say no in a way that is not combative, in a way that's clear about why it's, why, why whatever the ask is, is inconsistent with our larger priorities, or, you know, uh, deflecting the ask into a different ask that I can say yes to, you know, those, those are all those are all kind of the nuances of mm -hmm. uh, of leadership in, in City Hall. So it's not easy to say no, it's, uh, it's especially for an elected official. So I can imagine that's a that's a hard task. But I've got to believe there are a lot harder things. The scrutiny that one goes for through when one runs for office and the, and the nasty vitriol that you hear from from constituents and, and perhaps even your your family hears. That's not fun. So with all of that, why, why, what, if you were talking to the next president of USG at Ohio State, what would be your, what would be your pitch to them as to why to continue down that pathway? Why, why is it, why is it worth the slings and arrows of, of public life to, to serve in a role like this? There's, there's no job that, it, there's no doubt that it's hard, right? But, but I love my job so much. I, I get up in the morning and my job description is to improve the lives of Cincinnatians. That's it. That's all I do all day long, every day that I'm, I'm in this office. And I can't imagine a job in the private sector that 
gives me that kind of platform and opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, in big and small ways to just make people's life easier, to, to, to be their advocate. Um, you know, just, just reflecting on it now, it is, it is such a huge and awesome responsibility that I try to live up to every single day. And look, we, we all choose our professions for different reasons, but, but for me, again, it comes back to my family. I mean, it is crazy that my mom and dad in their early twenties decided to move across the world mm -hmm. in a country where it was not their first language, where they didn't know anybody, where they didn't have anything and build a life. The risk that, that took, yeah. the courage that that took. And so it's, it's really incumbent upon me to live a life that is worthy of that sacrifice. And for me, public service is that opportunity. Well, as a, as a resident, not of your city, but of Ohio, I want to thank you because I know having served under Senator Glenn here, it's, it's not an easy job. And uh, so, so thank you for your, for your willingness to take that on. Let's, let's get in the weeds about your specific role. Your, your city is the birthplace of the city management form of government. Um, and you just put a ballot initiative. And I should say, I should, probably should have said this at the beginning, we're recording this just after November's election. Um, and so you had a ballot measure up. Um, tell us uh, uh, that that was going to potentially make some changes to the system of government in Cincinnati. So give us a little bit of an education. What What is the structure of the, the city of government uh, governance in in uh, Cincinnati and what change are, are you looking to make? Yeah, we, we are really proud of our system of government here. Um, we're, we're really the leader in city man, the city manager form of government. And it was a, a response, you know, I don't know, a hundred years ago to the, the boss system that was rampant in corruption uh, here in Cincinnati. Um, and we had that city manager led form of government for a long time. Just a quick primer on, on city manager forms of government. So in a city manager form of government, the, the mayor is, is, is more or less a figurehead, oftentimes elected from council. Um, but the city manager, who's a professional, who's appointed by council, is the person who's in charge of all the employees and, and the budget. So really the CEO. Um, in a strong mayor form of government, which is the other kind, um, the mayor is the city manager and the mayor. Uh, they have ultimate power in the executive. Um, obviously, council, you know, sets the budgets, et cetera, but all city employees report to the mayor, the budget kind of effectuate, the mayor effectuates the budget. So for a very long time, Cincinnati had a city manager for formal government. But our experience from 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 lacking that kind of one political figure, that one leader, mm -hmm. was that we were we were just kind of stuck in the mud. We didn't have one person really pushing us forward, setting the vision and executing against that vision. And so more recently, over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, we changed our, our city uh, charter, our constitution. So we're, we're really unique in the country in that we are not a city manager form of government and we are not a strong mayor form of government. We are what's called a stronger mayor form of government. So we're a little bit of a hybrid. So I have, as mayor, much more authority. For example, I hire and fire the city manager. I dictate council's uh, legislative agenda by having the power to put things on or off the, the, the calendar. Um, I, uh, I submit the first draft of the budget to council and they kind of work off of that. 
Uh, and, that, and that form of government has really been successful in the short term and really allowing us to still have a professional city staff, mm -hmm. but also having the best of the strong mayor system where we have one leader who's setting the vision and pushing us forward. But because we've been tinkering with our constitution, there are unex unexpected uh, consequences. One of which was um, a, a aspect of the drafting of our constitution, which opened the door unintentionally for the mayor to pocket veto pieces of legislation. Mm. So since I decide what comes on the calendar or not, um, if I so pleased, I could just put a piece of legislation once it goes through committee into a drawer and not bring it up to the larger council until the very end of the term. This has, has not really been used recently, but it had been used in the past. And, and because we've had, sadly, um, some recent corruption hall, I thought it was an important change to the Constitution and uh, an important uh, step to regaining re, uh, some of that trust back with our community. It's not every day you see a mayor standing up and saying, no. take power away from me. But it is, it is consistent with, with our namesake, Cincinnatus, who is um, a, a, a legendary figure, a Roman general who had to f uh, fight back a, uh, an overtaking of Rome. And after he was, he was done, instead of continuing to lead, he gave power back to the people and went back home to be a farmer. So I don't know if, if that's legend or apocryphal, but that's, that's who we're named after. And, and there's some interesting consistency there. So you've obviously never read Machiavelli's The Prince. You, you, you're, not, you're not there <laughs> organizing behind the scenes to acquire power. You're getting rid of it. Yeah, well, right. Exactly. So how, I, how how has this system influenced your leadership style? What given given what you've just described, then how do you approach your role as leader? You know, it's perfect. It's it's really set up well for for, for me specifically. I, I was look. We all have imposter syndrome, and when I was transitioning into being mayor, I was talking to to one of my mentors, the 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 most recent. CEO of PNG, David Taylor. And I was saying to David, you know, I, I feel all this pressure to be the smartest guy in the room, to have all the answers, to not look, um, you know, uh, like, I, like I wasn't on top of everything. And he gave me great advice. He was just like, it, it, is, it is unrealistic and impossible for you to set that bar for yourself. You're just going to disappoint yourself and those around you. In fact, it's more powerful for a leader to say, I don't know. Uh, and, to, and to engage the team around him uh, or her to, to get to the best answer. And that, and that really is my leadership style. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm a litigator still at heart. So I love it when the best possible argument from both sides uh, kind of have it out, um, ask questions, and, and that usually leads me to the right decision. Um, and so I'm, I'm really blessed to have an incredible team around me have really strong administrators on the city staff, and then obviously a, a council who's a true partner in achieving these goals. So let's let's. I'm glad you mentioned litigator as we sort of last chapter of this conversation. Um, and I wish we could talk for a lot longer because there's a lot of things I want to ask you. But um, as I mentioned earlier, we're we're just coming to the end of of uh, an election. Um, there are obviously some races and some things still up in the air. And by the time this airs, those will hopefully be resolved. 
Um, but I think we know pretty much what the landscape looks like here in Ohio. And so I, obviously you are a Democrat, you ran as one, but I want you to, to, to go back to that litigator role of seeing both sides and also your political science days uh, as an undergrad and, and sort of step back and, and give us your estimation for here in Ohio, we now, when you look at a map, urban areas are gone blue and rural areas have gone uh, gone red. And, and I guess an, an, another way to ask this is, what do you think explains why cities by and large throughout Ohio are run by elected Democrats? It's a good it's a good question because you know it, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily when you think about our national politics it's a bit of a it's a bit unusual uh, because you know so much of Ohio's economic power is because of the large employers in the cities mm-hmm. um, and so you would think that uh, that Republicans kind of stereotypically would be more aligned to that or that you know leaders in the state house would 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 understand that. I, I think I think a lot of it has to do with with culture wars and unfair attacks. Mm-hmm. I think I think there is, you know, cities are are polyglots, right? They they attract people from all over the world. Uh, they are densely populated, um, and and uh, they they uh, necessarily need to accommodate. Uh, different faiths, different languages, different political persuasions. And so it, it really is, you know, the best example of how diverse our country is. Um, but with that comes comes some challenges. Obviously, you know, crime is, is, is higher in densely populated areas like yeah. cities. Um, you know, taxes sometimes tend to be higher as a result of, of the, the need to provide public services on such a, a, a large scale. Um, but, but I think, you know, I, I, so I, I think what you're seeing is, um, is, is a, a political divide that's only being exacerbated by, you know, kind of toxic political messages that say either cities are unsafe or, you know, everyone outside of cities are racist, both, yeah. both untrue and unfair. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it, it, it has been very effective for politicians to divide and to make people scared. Um, and I, I unfortunately, I think you're, you're going to continue to see that. Now, in Ohio, we have a unique situation. I, mean, I, I genuinely believe, Dean, that the two forces that are polluting and in some instances really hurting our democracy is, number one, the just unfettered amount of money that gets poured into yeah. these races. That, that, that has nothing to do with the district, right? All these, all these outside independent groups just pouring millions and millions of dollars into these races. And then the second, you know, um, unfortunately it's true, is, is gerrymandering. Yeah. Um, we were talking briefly, the House, ha- the House and Senate have historic Republican margins. I, and, and I made the joke, I, I didn't realize it was possible for those margins to get even bigger for Republicans. <laughs> But that's that is certainly not reflective of where of where the state is politically. And and so we we, we don't necessarily have truly rep, representative or reflective government right now, which is and, and when you have such gerrymandered districts, the middle, you know, the kind of the, the compromised kinds of candidates get get beaten by the extremes from both parties. And so it makes it really difficult to then govern. 
So last question on that, building on some of the, the good themes you've identified, where, where are the opportunities for bridge building across the parties and, and perhaps more importantly and germane to your role between the state house and, and urban areas, between cities and, and the state? Where, where do you think those opportunities for, for partnership are? Look, I, you know, I, think, I, I think traditionally it has been at the local level. Um, and I say traditionally because we have seen more and more political um, attacks and opportunism around things like critical race theory. Um, you know, the pandemic really laid bare a lot of the politics uh, on our school board races. Um, but, but despite that recent trend, I still think these local political um, offices, whether they're county commissioner or school board, or mayor or city council, gives us the best opportunity to have legitimate differences without the partisan toxicity. Part of the reason I love my job is because, yes, I'm a Democrat and yes, I'm elected, but my issues really are nonpartisan. Yeah. This is a real job being mayor, right? Like if I don't plow <laughs> the streets and pick up the trash and fill the potholes, I'm gonna be voted out and rightly so. And there's no Republican or Democratic way to fill a pothole. You just gotta get it done, right? right. So part of what I love about my job is people don't care about the spin or the obfuscation. They, they just want to see results from their local elected officials. And that really makes us as local electeds put all that crap aside as well. And so I, I think there's a there's a huge opportunity to build back the strength of our democracy through these local offices. But I am somewhat worried that this this trend of toxicity is is being exported from DC and infecting lower and lower levels of, of of elected officials. Well, just based on this conversation, you're you're doing a, an artful job of of acknowledging it, but not wading into it. So, uh, thank thank you for a, a really engaged <laughs> conversation. And and again, as I said earlier, thank you for for your role as an elected leader. Um, we we all benefit from from value driven, good hearted people that, as you say, just doesn't matter whether they're Democrats, Republicans, they just want to deliver value to their citizens. So on, beha on behalf of the Glenn College um, and The Ohio State University, we, we are proud uh, of the good work you're doing. So thank you. Thank you, Dean, for having me back. And, and go Bucks, baby, go Bucks.